when I am really interested in something, I, I get super focused on that. And I would hear the underground hovering across the line. I would mimic that sound. I think in pictures, I don't think in language. What you probably don't know is that my brain is different than yours. Because I'm autistic. Welcome to the Drumbeat Autism Outreach Podcast. My name is Charlie and I work with a team of autism specialists working in the Lewisham area, London. This podcast is aimed at parents and professionals living and working with autistic young people. In this episode, you will hear from team members Sonia, Corin, Pete and myself as we explore some of the language and terminologies which are used to describe autistic people. We touch on words and phrases such as low and high functioning autism, identity first versus person first language and the idea of difference versus deficit. Before that, you'll hear a short introduction where Pete and myself share some podcast news. So welcome to episode five. Um, We've just returned from our summer break and I'm once again joined by a voice that your your listeners will be very familiar with by now and that is the voice of Pete Black. Hello, Pete. Hiya, Charlie. Hi. Hi. Nice to be here. (laughs) Have you you feel feel refreshed from your summer break and uh, back and ready to go for this new term? I think I think break is an unfortunate choice of word as I uh, <laughs> as, as I think listeners might not know but I, I had a bit of a skate, skateboarding whoopsie um, about three months oh. ago which has uh, rendered my, my summer um, very much kind of indoor based affair um, as I did actually break a, <laughs> break a few bones um, but no other than that yeah feeling really good uh, fighting fit and uh, ready for the new the new term and, and all it brings and on the men slowly but surely uh, I can see from your from the way that you're kind of managing to walk around your house there on the on the video chat for, for, for the listeners who can't see us um, I'm sporting rather a swanky uh, kind of uh, astronaut style space boot uh, which is incredible um, and it uh, I broke my foot so the the whole thing is like a, a temporary well kind of a removable cast but it's got buttons and pumps and straps and stuff it's very exciting not the best summer for you but glad that you're kind of uh, on on the mend in that respect so, uh, I mean, this this is my second term here at Drumbeat Autism uh, Outreach. And when I first joined the, the, the team, I kind of got the podcast up and running fa- fairly quickly using kind of some pre-existing interviews that you'd done with Sonia on Instagram. And that's episode yeah. one and two that the listeners can hear. And then you and I sort of collaborated a little bit in terms of, sort of figuring out what would happen for episode three and four. And we sort of did our first kind of recordings again with Sonia and then with in episode four with a, a special guest Emmy and during that time Pete you showed kind of a a massive enthusiasm for the podcast and mm. and b really kind of gave me a bunch of kind of juice and energy in terms of kind of future episodes but also gave me a bunch of ideas for future guests and all this sort of stuff um it's become increasingly clear to me a that we need you, we want you on board for pretty much every episode, but also how crucial and critical it is for this podcast about autism to have consistent autistic voice on every on every episode, really. So without kind of being around the bush any, any longer, uh, is, this is my chance to announce to listeners that Pete, moving forward, you will no longer be a podcast regular, but you will be podcast co-host. Well, hey, promotion. <laughs> 
Yeah, I got there at last. Yeah, all my hard work has paid off. That's great. I'm, I'm genuinely, thoroughly delighted. Really, really chuffed and really touched to be um, to be kind of approached by by yourself, Charlie, and, and to be to be asked to be the uh, the kind of co-host of the podcast because it's something that I'm really interested in. I've been interested in in podcasts for years myself, um, and obviously autism is a kind of living, working, breathing sort of element of my or, or kind of encompassing <laughs> umbrella of my life um, as well. So to to be able to kind of marry the two and do something that I love and to be able to contribute towards something that that uh, perhaps I have um, some experience in is it's, it's a real blessing you know I'm really really chuffed to be to be part of it because I, I we, we're aiming this podcast as you know from my kind of various intros at kind of professionals and parents who work with autistic young people and although a lot of those people will be autistic themselves many won't be um and so I think having as as regular hosts having myself who's who's holistic and you as an autistic person uh, I think as as co-hosts is probably it's probably the right 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 way to do it but also I think we've really enjoyed recording together so that's going to be the setup moving forwards and and you know we put together four episodes we didn't know kind of whether this podcast would be listened to by many people um but uh it has been picked up by a lot of people and um we're not really kind of advertising in any way shape or form other than to kind of let let schools and that that we work, work with know that the podcast exists so um since we're not going to have like a regular date that comes up please do subscribe to the podcast because that means that you'll get the next episode popping up when uh when it comes out uh also tell people about it i think word of mouth is the, is the main way that we um that you know the podcast will, will will kind of get out there and you know we've even been into schools already this term people have kind of spoken to us about uh the podcast so that's really great to hear that you know that it that it's out there um so please do recommend it please do pass it on if you're enjoying it um and if you are somebody who would like to be a guest on the podcast or you know someone who would like to be a guest on the podcast because you've got something that you feel would be useful to discuss in this format then um I'm going to keep a link in the show notes to kind of all the different various media outlets that uh, Drumbeat Autism Outreach have, uh, our webpage, our Instagram, our Facebook, and through any of those, you kind of get in touch with one of us and just say what we want to speak to the podcast people, uh, Pete and Charlie, and, uh, and, and that message will get through to us and we can kind of uh, liaise about kind of getting you on. So that's a bit of housekeeping at the, at the top of this particular podcast. Don't worry, not everyone intro will be that long, but I think, uh, you know, it, it's a fresh term, it's a fresh start, and it feels like a good time to bring now a new co-host on board. But let's get back to the present, Pete. Um, in this episode, we are going to be talking about language and sort of the language that we use around autism. I am joined by three team members this week. Um, we have the newly elected co-host Pete. Um, we have podcast regular and also our, our wonderful team leader, Sonia Gannon. Hi, Charlie. And we are absolutely delighted to welcome another team member for her first podcast appearance, first of many, I hope, and that is Corinne Coote. Hello, Corinne. Hi, Charlie. So we're going to start, we're actually going to go through uh, sort of different aspects of language when we're talking about or to autistic people, one sort of category at a time. But we, I think to start with, uh, Sonia, would you be able to just go through with listeners a little bit why kind of language is important in the first place why why this kind of 
topic of conversation was was important enough to make a podcast episode about um because i think it, it it's useful just to have an overview before we get stuck in yeah absolutely um i think we as a team strive to engage respectfully with the autism community with the families the children and the young people that we work with and we recognize the importance of the precision of language um, especially for autistic people who are very good on the detail and remember with great precision what is said and also interpret language very literally Um, so there's always that concern but also, I guess, the debate about language is, is ever developing and enduring and emerging all the time. So when my son was diagnosed 19 years ago, the paediatrician described autism to me as organic brain damage. Now, thank goodness that would never be used to explain autism to a parent today, but it was something that was deemed to be helpful for me in understanding my son's what we then call disorder um, and so um, I have always been very sensitive um, as a parent and as a professional in thinking about what language means and the importance of not amplifying um, inequalities, prejudices and to really think about how we support a positive view of autistic people and how we work with autistic people to reflect their perspectives and their identities. So it's about being open to listening to what autistic people think and feel and express, um, and to ensure that language is not pejorative, that it's um, subjective, and it's about individuals and their preferences and needs and desires. Uh, I think it's also really important to know that we're not going to go into a school or work with a family and go, ha ha, you just said person with autism and you just said uh, not normal or you just said weird or um, any other word that we might think is judgmental. What we're trying to do is not be language police and, um, you know, really be uh, judgmental of people's use of language, but really try to share alternate perspectives about language and to consider the precision and what is understood by the words that we use. So really just trying to have a conversation about language, I think. Well, without further ado, shall we get stuck into some of these sort of uh, general areas that we kind of want to talk about? And I think we'll start with high-functioning or low-functioning autism or mild autism or severe autism those kind of terminologies so I don't know if you want to kind of get us started Corinne on on why it is that we're sort of moving away from those ideas uh in terms of the language that we use I think it's interesting because you know it's language that we all would have used at some point and language is forever changing we are often driven by medical terms as opposed to social terms so for a lot of people it's hard to move away from particular language as Sonia has said we're not going to be the language police we will lead by example by using the appropriate terms and if needs be we will explain why language such as high functioning and low functioning is not appropriate. Um, for example, 
those two words or in my in my mind creates division it creates a us versus them as if one group is better than the other when they're all autistic people each individual has their strengths and area of need so we just need to think about how we would how we would feel if we people refer to us as high function or low functioning compared to someone we're close to it's i mean it's tricky when you're in an environment where everyone's using the same language but i think if we just reflect on the language we're using in our everyday life then i think slowly but surely we will all begin to use more accepted language but it's interesting i don't think you know people who use these terms it, it it's not done maliciously or anything. it's literally the language we were told to use at that point you know so of course it's so easy to continue but then people such as ourselves have to lead by example i i i, I found a nice quote on on instagram and this is by adam walton and it says so-called mild autism doesn't mean one experiences autism mildly it means that you are experiencing their autism mildly and if you're talking about kind of high functioning autism you're talking about that you know mild mild autism as it says in here and actually what you're referring to is not the person's experiences but how you're experiencing them i mean i mean i'll go to pete now because i think you would have been <laughs> described if we were using these terms as someone with with mild autism so can you talk a little bit about why mild autism wouldn't be kind of something that that you you would like as a as as, as a label within your autism or 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 or, or high functioning and those sorts of things from a personal experience yeah i think it comes i think a lot of it comes down to um how we how we understand autism and how we understand the autism spectrum and i would say that as we all learn more about autism this this concept of a of a spectrum the the sort of thoughts that surround it are oh well there's a low end of the spectrum and there's a high end of the spectrum and really every autistic person is somewhere you know in between you know either close to the low end or the high end of the spectrum the high end being lots of 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 kind of like high need in the way that society may may look at an autistic person and say right they they're going to need an awful lot of support because they they've got these um perhaps fit, perhaps kind of physical correct characteristics which would imply a, a, a kind of a, a need in society a difference in society which would require a lot of support whereas um i think a lot of people would 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 perhaps put me down at the kind of low end of the spectrum because what they see is the fact that yeah i've managed to sustain employment um i i've got you know i've got decent groups of 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 friends and and um i live independently and and all of these things i think the understanding of the spectrum at the moment needs to change you know because instead of thinking of the spectrum as this linear thing we need to start thinking of it you know far more as a big there's a lovely uh, sort of color wheel analogy that's used on 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 the internet i can't remember who it's who it was actually drawn by but it's it's very very beautiful and um it sort of explains um what we what we now think of as a a kind of spiky profile where um people uh, autistic people may well have tremendous strengths in certain areas they may be a f- phenomenal artist or a brilliant writer um or a very good uh, communicator perhaps but then there may be other areas that they find incredibly challenging and so often these areas can be hidden from the outside world and the outside world can't actually see and experience um what an autistic individual is experiencing is feeling and is thinking about something so i think it's this idea that 
we all have strengths and we all have struggles, but our strengths and struggles are individual to us. Therefore, we cannot put ourselves on this linear scale and say, you know, well, I'm further down the scale than that person, or that person's, you know, further down the scale or further higher functioning than me, or I'm lower functioning than that person. Exactly. It's it's not helpful, is it's it? It's not helpful, no. It's no. just not helpful and it's reductive and it's also... Um, if we say something is high and low, exactly as you've just pointed out, Pete, in relation to what? Right. And also, it elevates language above every other skill. And as you said, with young people with very spiky profiles, they may be extremely able in one area and um, have more difficulties in another. I mean, an example, if we flip it on its head of it the other way around, I guess, would be something like uh, the book, The Reason I Jump by Naoki Higashida. I think that's that's his name. Like He would be what would be described as low function because he's nonverbal and wasn't able to kind of type the book either. I think he he had a, a, a... a pattern of 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 letters on the wall that he pointed to i think in order to to get the book written but he's written a book and there are so-called high-functioning autistic people who wouldn't be able to write a book so i think that kind of demonstrates it on the flip side as well this idea that what what you're describing when you describe low functioning is actually what you're seeing with which is actually kind of often more to do with I don't know, maybe disagree, more to do with verbal but non-verbal sometimes is, is actually what we're talking about when we're talking about high or low functioning. So so, so what's the alternative? We wouldn't have these terms if it wasn't for the fact that professionals found them helpful as a way of kind of shortcutting to get to when you come and seeing, you know, if we're going to school, if you're going to come and see see some a, a young person, that they're, they're shortcutting by saying, they're high functioning, as in what to expect when you see them. You're going to expect, when you're when you're hearing that, you're expecting someone who's probably um, interacting and engaging verbally. Whereas whereas when they're saying no functioning, you're, you're 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 probably expecting someone who's non-verbal. You're probably expecting someone who's maybe completely isolated from others. That's that's why those terms are, are being used as a sort of shorthand. I, I suspect. Do you know what I thought of um, the a young girl named? Erin Davison, who would have been someone who was described as high functioning, um, but she has created a brilliant animation depicting her life at school. And while she's at school, she while she appeared to be high functioning and all put together internally, she was you know falling apart. And I think if anyone were to ask her at that moment while she was in school whether she felt she was high function or low functioning her answer would be low function because she was so you can't if this language um when you unpick it and you apply it to different areas it really doesn't make sense Um, yes because the if the ultimate the highest functioning would be non-autistic is that what we're saying so the lowest functioning is very autistic and we talk about high functioning Um, mild autism and so the less autism you have the closer you become to a listic what do you think about that Pete? Yeah I think the problem is that there is a lot of comparison drawn to the neurotypical world and that all the standards that autistic people are held up against um, are ones defined uh, by uh, neurotypical society and I think that's a real frustration because it's it's basically saying listen you know if you can get to a level where you're you know, communicating like us as neurotypicals, then um, that's really the that's really the progress that we want to see, as opposed to kind of acknowledging people for where they're at. And 
acknowledging everyone's profile as unique, you know, with their own strengths, their own needs. Everyone's got a unique profile. And I, I just think that that needs to start being recognized and celebrated way more than this whole kind of blanket um, idea of pigeonholing and uh, neurotypical comparison. So, so to counteract that, um, what Pete's saying, I think there just needs to be more research um, that involves actual autistic people because they are the ones who can inform us of what they feel comfortable with um, and within that still remembering that actually that one group of autistic people doesn't re- um, represent all autistic people. Now now these, these terms wouldn't have developed if there wasn't some advantage of kind of of, of distinguishing in some ways and it's because like I said before professionals do feel the need to describe uh, a young person in a, in a particular way in terms of the presentation so in terms of an alternative for professionals when we're talking about specifically these ideas of high and low functioning and mild not not being the language police as Sonia said but I guess what we would encourage is to to not kind of shortcut to these high low mild ideas but to actually sort of describe the presentation yeah I think so I think you've hit the nail on the heads um and I think as as well what's what's really useful is if if we can be specific about every area of you know of of a person's presentation that that can be really useful because it may be that the kind of in inverted commas high functioning autistic person you know instead of labeling them as high functioning you can say well you know academically this is where they're at or you know this is where they're at across you know the, the different lessons and stuff that's not putting a kind of label or a judgment on them that's just that, that's just the, the kind of factual data as to where that they're at and that gives us a very accurate view not just of you know their kind of overarching strengths and needs but it but it it actually kind of hones in specifically on oh wow there are there are areas here where this person's an expert there are areas here where this person experienced struggle you know this is here's the, this unique picture i just i think it's important to say here pete that when that language is used it is very much still common parlance we still see it in medical reports um we still so it's um i, I guess it's adding that caveat isn't it there is no judgment we know that people very much associated high functioning with the term Asperger's, which is again a term that is not used anymore. It's no longer in the diagnostic statistical manual. And there is, um, you know, there are very, very strong reasons why uh, Franz Asperger is is kind of rejected by much of the autism world now. But I I suppose it's recognising that that language has been around for a long time and it will probably take quite a long time to eradicate it as well or to, to consider other ways of describing individuals. Um, let's move on now to uh, the second kind of subtopic, and that is the idea of identity first language versus person first language. So I'm going to uh, start with a very targeted question, Pete. Are you an autistic person or are you are a person with autism? Personally, I'm an autistic person. Um, it took me a while to get my head around that. Um, I think it took me quite a lot of, of thinking about uh, quite a lot of reading about, um, quite a lot of online discussion around. I feel that this area is an area which is um, 
it's kind of strongly debated, even within the, the, the autistic community. I think that the majority of the autistic community would, would go identity first language. I'm an autistic person rather than I'm a person with autism because the idea being that autism is not a bag that you carry around with you. You know, it's not a bum bag that you can wear and then take off and leave somewhere or whatever. Um, <clears throat> autism is you know, it, it is you. It affects every aspect of, of life and therefore it is an identity as opposed to um, a, an addition or an accessory or whatever to your own to your own identity. So I personally would would refer to myself as an autistic person. However, I'm I'm aware that the, the, this is a this is an area that's absolutely rife, particularly on online. Um, and I think that where I really struggle is when there are big discussions happening, really important discussions happening, either online or, or, you know, in person. And because there has been maybe person-first language used, whoever has used this language will, will quite often get completely pounced upon. And their the actual point that they were making just becomes null and void because, oh, you know, someone's been offended and we need to address this now, as opposed to actually that that person, okay, they, they chose to use different language, but the point that they're making needs to be recognised and needs to be listened to and, and stuff. And I think that so often, you know, people just say things because they don't they don't know any differently. They've not been told. These things haven't been explained to them. And there are a lot of autistic people who actually still would still say, I'm uh, a person with autism. And they have their own reasons, their own personal reasons for this. In fact, we were sitting in watching a presentation today where um, where a young autistic lady actually kind of categorically said, I like to I like to say that I have autism as opposed to I'm an autistic person and I know this is controversial, but I've been in situations where my condition has been used or la my label has been used to almost dehumanise me. And so for me to put myself and to remind everyone that I am a human who has autism is really, really important to me, and it's far more important to me than to use my um, <clears throat> to use my identity first language. So I think it's a really it's a personal choice, but but I, I and I think the majority of the autistic community would probably go along with um, an autistic person as opposed to a person with autism. What was really interesting about the example of the person that we saw doing the presentation before, mm. it was just it was just before we started recording this podcast, they were towards the end of a three-day conference. Every single presentation had made a point of reminding everyone that we're using identity-first language. And and then suddenly this person stands up and says, I'm I'm autistic, but I don't use identity-first language. And here are my reasons why. And although that person was a minority within her community, like Nobody could, even though this whole conference was saying identity first, identity first, always use identity first. This person standing up and saying, "I'm going to, I'm going to use person first language in my presentation because that's how I identify as a person with autism." Like, it's, it's, there's no one size fits all on this one. No. But we had to make a decision as a team about how we would use language, and I think in our engagement with the autism community and talking to neurodivergent members of the team, we agreed as a team that we wanted to talk about autistic people in our policies um, and in any materials we make available. But I think it's, it, it's absolutely true that we would also say that in engaging with a 
person, with individuals, we would also ask them their preferred way of describing themselves. Because of course we have to hold that an autistic person has multiple identities, just like everybody else. And so you have a social identity, a cultural identity, a personal identity, and it may be really important for you to be known as a trans person, or uh, a lesbian woman, or um, a mother, or um, a second generation Irish middle-aged woman. Um, for example. You know, for, you know, just plucking it out of the air. Yeah, because that there are multiple identities and to not recognize that, as Pete says, dehumanizes somebody. So it's abs- as a team, we went with the identity first because that, as Pete said again, is, is predominantly what the autism community says they prefer but on an individual level we think about how does that person want to be described to be known how do they define um, and describe themselves what do they want people to know about them Uh, it may be that a young person we're working with doesn't want people to know they're autistic but they might be very comfortable with describing themselves as a neurodivergent teenager you know, so it, it, it again, it always, doesn't it? Thank goodness, come back to the individual and what they feel comfortable with. I agree with Sonia um, and Pete, actually. I, to be honest, I really don't feel comfortable deciding what to, uh, how to refer to someone. I, I know as a team we've decided, but um, if I am ever with an autistic person, I would always ask them how they prefer to be referred to. There are some labels um, I wouldn't, want attached to myself so I would always where possible um, ask the individual how they would like to be referred to. Let's move on to our sort of third subcategory which is the way in which we talk about challenge or difference. Yeah I think it stems probably from how we came up with this term autism it's a it's a man-made construct isn't it I say man-made it was probably person-made I hope with Lorna Wing's involvement but um, it was definitely uh, a tool to be able to define this difference and this difference was defined originally in what the person couldn't do so we had words like deficit disorder impairments difficulties instead of thinking about challenge instead of thinking about strength instead of thinking about that person's neurology perhaps being governed by the theory of special interests or monotropism for instance which I think better helps us understand the way an autistic person thinks and feels and experiences the world so I think you've already touched on it, Sonia, but um, maybe open it up to Corinne and Pete as well. Like, I think it it's more obvious probably to listeners than in the last two situations, like high func- high low functioning and identity first language. It's more obvious why these these ideas of disorder, suffering, issues, impairment, deficit are are, are potentially damaging. But let's talk a bit more about the alternatives. I would say difference is far outweighs um, disorder or, or impairment or deficit. I mean, 
those words, they sound as if the individual is lacking in something or as if they're not 100% human like the rest of us. And also, I think when you use words like that, it's impacting their this this person's identity. Um, it may impact the type of support they receive. For example, there might be professionals who see them as not being able to do something because they they have an impairment. They're impaired, so I must do this. When in actual fact, there's a difference. So the way in which you offer support or or you provide support just needs to be different to how you would. Um, provide support for to another individual yeah i would just say for the time being i think we're using difference um or sometimes i say the area area of need because we all have an area of need i always think about that relationship as well between teacher and young person and i think about like um sometimes we're talking about when you talk about difference a learning difference you're saying this person learns differently to the way that you teach potentially. But yeah, so, so you're talking about a difference in the style in which you, you learn, I guess. But when you're talking about a deficit or disorder, you're, you're saying like basically um, there's a right way to learn and a wrong way to learn. For me, I hear, when I hear deficit, I hear that they're, they're not whole there's something wrong with them when there's nothing wrong with um, these um, young people or autistic people. They are individuals, human beings who just need support in a different way to their the partner. I think there's also there might also be a case of, of arguing that um, because there are multiple ways to do things and because some autistic people may do things in slightly different ways, um, some autistic people may also do things in way more efficient ways and those oh, different ways could Very you know true. um be- because um and again every autistic person's unique however there are some there are some uh i and i'm <laughs> i'm going to use the word traits here and i i'm quite happy for you to to pull me up on that i just can't think of a another um a, another word off the top of my head to describe what, what what i'm meaning but there are quite often a lot of overlapping traits within autism where there may well be extreme attention to detail or a really really ordered and logical framework in internal framework in an autistic person's head and efficiency is quite is, is quite often and not always but quite often a, a real a real strength or doing something a, a completely different but just as efficient way um, is quite often a real strength of autistic people as well so I think it's maybe just worth bearing in mind again it's just back to that that point really that um there's more there's more than one way to do things and it can be a little bit frustrating when the, the there's only there's only really kind of one path that you should um should be going should be going down and that's implied you know you should be going down this path if you're wanting to really make the most in life and be a successful human you need to be doing things this way and it's actually now it's time to change the conversation you know um there are multiple multiple different approaches to uh, to learning and to living um, can I can I offer an example um, for that, which is so back in 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 at one point in my career, I've I've worked as a math teacher in a specialist school um, where a certain percentage of the young people were uh, autistic, and one of the things that I found, and again, not across the board, but with some uh, autistic young people, they would often not do very well in kind of external maths exams even though they were great mathematicians because they would figure out the answer to quite complex calculations in their head and write down the answer and when you said to them you've got to show you're working 
they're like but I do the work out in my head why am I writing a load of stuff down when I can get the right answer without it and and it was a difficult one to argue with and and that is that is asking an autistic person who is very good at maths to adapt their efficient way of working to to cater for the exam board as opposed to the exam board realizing that some people will do this complex calculation in their head and that's the most efficient and effective way to do it so we're we're de-skilling it that's an example of us kind of de-skilling someone who has an ability because you're you want them to do things in the way that holistic people might do it or people who don't have that ability to do i'm not saying all autistic all people have that ability but you know you're, you're trying to get them to kate you're, you're trying to get them to do something inefficient in order to appease uh, somebody who's marking the paper when actually what they've got is a, a, an incredible skill that an employer would great would would love about being precise and quick in terms of the arithmetic that you're doing in your head you know i think i think i just think that that is an example of 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 what's being described really one of my pet peeves when we started when i started this job is oh, my husband's a bit autistic. Isn't everybody a bit autistic? <laughs> and you'd sort of, I, I don't know where to go with that. It's like the, um, it's like the high and low functioning. It's so, it's so disempowering to those people who are actually autistic as well. I really don't get offended by very much at all. There, there, there aren't very many things that I think that I would take offense to, particularly when, when said kind of lightheartedly and stuff. Um, but one of the things that I find really difficult is when it's happened with almost every friend that I've told about my diagnosis, which is why I've only told four or five friends about my diagnosis, is the the, the, the fact that someone inevitably turns around and says, yeah, but we're all a bit autistic, or I know you, you know, and I know that you're not, you, you know, if you're autistic at all, then you're only a tiny bit autistic. And it's just like, it, it, bas it, it basically kind of, I think, I think that, I mean, that's a whole other you know, I guess kind of coming out about your diagnosis and stuff is a whole other, um, whole other podcast topic. But um, I think that that certainly the discussions that that happen around being uh, being open about about one's diagnosis um, can really can really 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 affect friendships. I I, I do think I think it's worth pointing out at this point as a, as almost a disclaimer. But that's that's different. What you're saying is different too, because we do acknowledge and we do support self-diagnosis and um, self-identifying as, as autistic, um, because I think that's important. Uh, adults who 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 have researched and understood and and gone through the process of understanding what autism is and relating it to their own life and and ticking a, enough boxes and and understanding the way that they perceive the world enough to be able to self-diagnose or or self-identify as aut autistic and um i i do i do have a friend who's going through through that process it seems himself of kind of really studying and researching um it and 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 moving towards kind of self-identifying and and that is different that is that is something that i think we as a team would still support there is a there is a difference between self-identifying so you're out there and you're listening and you think um that you are someone who sort of self-identifies as aut autistic um or has self-diagnosed I, I think it's just worth pointing out that 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 the, the experience that you've had pete with friends saying what they have to you is very very different to someone who's actually researched and understood and taken on board everything oh, and is self-identifying isn't it 100 percent. and I, I i also kind of want to make it clear that you know if 
if there's en- ever any conversation around that that anyone would like to have, I am a, a completely open door. I'm quite happy to to have that that conversation. What I'm not happy about is when um, when you really feel that it's kind of being used against you or being used to to be it's kind of making light of you in a way or or making light of your um a situation which you've come to terms with and has been a very very difficult and, and often quite a, a a very very misunderstood road and private road that you've kind of been on a journey down um and but yeah completely different um it's completely different from from self identity and if anyone's serious about you know serious about kind of identifying as as autistic without having an official diagnosis that is just as valid that is you know it's completely valid certainly in my eyes and certainly in our team's eyes we would you know, you know we would <laughs> we would believe that, that we, that's the thing is that i think i think that's the thing i always want to say is just just believe us just just believe us accept you know accept and believe one of the another thing pete which i i do think is another thing that i have experienced massively and i think probably became more sensitive to it having a son with autism but if anyone is rude or inconsiderate or seems to lack empathy that there, there is this slur oh he's autistic you know that that it is used to damn someone if you like oh because they're rude or lack manners or um a dismissive oh they're autistic and that i find offensive and also the the use of the term oh don't be so autistic someone actually said that to me once at a dinner party and and I was really taken aback and I said you do remember that I have a child with autism don't you and I said you do remember that I'm a, a an autism teacher I work with professionals uh, in this area and I work with children and young people with that diagnosis and it was kind of shrugged off with a, with embarrassment but it was obviously a term that was in common use by this person you know when they found someone irritating or maybe pedantic or I'd, I can't even, I don't even know what I was doing to irritate at the time I wish I could remember it was a long time ago but don't be so autistic was was thrown at me and you know to be fair I'm I don't think I'm autistic I think I'm quite holistic I think I'm one of the most boringly neurotypical people in the team me and Corin so were too. talking about this <laughs> you think so too yeah 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 so I, I was really surprised I was surprised that it was said to me I was also surprised that it could be used as a cuss I'm going back 10 years ago now but I yeah. think the fact the word so in there as well it, you know, know so autistic it then implies you know one of our first points that we made on the on the podcast of well you know whereabouts on the linear scale are you know is this person you know, I think I was so 7.5 <laughs> right right yeah. right yeah. what's interesting is, uh, and, 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 and I'm really sorry to say this Sonia because this is me being massively pedantic but I think I'm being pedantic in in a way that is 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 useful to come back to this idea of we're not the language police we as a team have made the decision to use the the you know the, the identity first language we use it all the time um, you are a mother of an autistic son, and yet you've just described your son as as your son with autism a couple of times in that last little bit, and it just shows how easy it is. But I think it's really important because you know we're not the arbiters of truth and right, and we're not always going to get everything right. What what we're doing is going, and you know the interesting thing is I've been talking about autism for twenty years, 
and it's changed so much for me you know and there are things that my son teaches me that I I have to um adapt my thinking and my use of language and um consider how it's perceived um even if it's not as I had intended Thank you for listening to episode five. As always, I like to end the podcast with a recommendation. And this week, it's a book that was mentioned during our conversation, which is the book, The Reason I Jump, written by Naoki Higashida, when he was only 13 years old. It offers a great insight and perspective from the point of view of a nonverbal autistic teenager. On the blurb of the book, he's described as being severely autistic. With our conversation about language and terminology within this podcast, it's maybe interesting to reflect on that phrase in relation to Naoki Higashina and whether a linear spectrum upon which Naoki sits at the severe end is really an accurate way of describing this young man. If you haven't already done so, please check out episodes one to four of the podcast. And if you want to find out more about Drumbeat, there is a link to our website and socials in the show notes, along with links to some of the resources that we discuss in this episode.